0: Well good morning everybody. It's so good to see you all here. I'm looking forward to opening God's Word with you this morning. A special welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Now if you've been with us in this series you know that we are in week five of our current series called Boundless, a study of God's Word. And if we go back to week one, week one we we laid the foundation. We talked about what it means to be good students of God's Word. And then, in week two, Pastor Luke taught on the New Testament letters. In week three, we focused our attention on the important subject of the role of Bible translation. And then last week, we looked at the Old Testament narratives. And if you recall from last week, I gave you three principles to apply whenever you open up the Old Testament narratives. And I said, well, first of all, that we need to understand that the Bible— Is one unified story of God's redemptive plan. The Bible is not just simply a a bunch of individual stories with no connection to each other. It's one unified plan, one unified story of God's redemptive plan. Then we also said that there's a difference when you open up the New Testament or the Old Testament narratives, there's a difference between descriptive and prescriptive passages, right? There are certain passages in the Bible that are describing what took place and other passages that prescribe a pattern for us to follow today. And then I concluded last week's message by saying that it's not all about me. Do you remember that? Whenever we open up the Bible, just keep that in mind. It's not all about me. Now, you're all important, okay? You're all special. But, and take this the best way possible, we are not the center of the biblical universe, (laughs) just keep that in mind we are not the center of the biblical universe and so we don't want to make the mistake of going into the scriptures and just jumping the gun and saying okay how does this apply to me we want to know first and foremost what is god saying in his word so that was last week and so i gave you these principles to apply whenever you open up the old testament narratives today we're devoting an entire message on just one book, and it's the book of Acts. And the reason why we're spending an entire message on just one book in this series is that many of the practices that we see in churches today can be traced back to the book of Acts. So, for example, today, different churches have different understandings when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts, right? Do certain spiritual gifts function in a normative way today as they did back in the first century? So that's a question. And from church to church, their understandings may differ. And so that's why it's important for us to look into the Word of God in the book of Acts to see what um, God's desire is. For his church today. Different churches have different understandings of church government. So certain churches they uh hold to let's say an episcopalian model of church government or polity. Other churches hold to a Presbyterian model. Other churches hold to a congregational model. Now, if those terms are not familiar, don't worry, it's okay. Right? Just know this, that from church to church, from denomination to denomination, from association to association, there may be differences on how church is governed on a practical basis. And we go down a list issue after issue today faced by churches. And the reality is oftentimes those differences can be traced to an understanding, an interpretation of the book of Acts. And so Much like we do with the Old Testament narratives, when we come to the book of Acts, which again is a narrative, we want to ask ourselves, does the book of Acts describe something or does the book of Acts prescribe what should be done by every church in every generation in every place? It's an important question for us to ask. And I'm going to make this even more complicated by asking another question. Could it be a combination of both description and prescription? Are there elements of both in the book of Acts? So hopefully by the time we're done, we'll have a better understanding of this important book. The title for this morning's message is Movement in the Book of Acts. Movement. I want you to keep that word in mind. Movement, because movement is a key theme throughout the entire book of Acts. Every time you open up a passage to a passage in Acts, just think movement. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke wrote two books that we have in the Bible the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a Gentile, in other words, he was not Jewish. And the opening verse, In the book of Acts, tells us the name of the recipient. There was a specific recipient of this book. His name was Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. We do know that his name means lover of God. So that's a great name. So Theophilus was a lover of God. He was most likely a Roman official with some high ranking. So he was the recipient of this book. So we want to be good students, right? If we were to sit down and read the entire book of Acts in one sitting, that's 28 chapters, okay? That would be a very ambitious daily devotional, okay? But for you overachievers, go for it, okay? This week, go for it. But if we were to sit down for a daily devotional and read the entire book of Acts, all 28 chapters, and if you were to pay very close attention, you would actually see... Natural divisions within the books, and within the book, you would see transition points that Luke himself provides for us. And for the next couple of minutes, very quickly, what I want to do is this I want to take you through those transition points so that you will have a better understanding every time you open up to the book of Acts. And so if you're ready, I invite you to get your Bibles ready, okay? So you can open up to your paper Bible, you can open up in your electronic Bible, but I encourage you to to, uh, follow along as much as you can. And I'm going to start in chapter 6, in verse 7. So you can make your way there. We'll also show this up on the screen in just a minute. But I'm going to start in chapter 6, with verse 7 and then from there we're going to read a number of passages that give us these natural transition points so act 6 verse 7 luke writes this so the word of god spread the number of disciples in jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith we'll stop there again think what Movement. Think movement whenever you open up to the book of Acts. And in this one verse alone, you see that concept of movement. The word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so we see this concept of movement. All right, let's now go over to chapter 9, verse 31. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Acts 9. Verse 31. As you make your way there, keep in mind this theme of movement. And in Acts 9, verse 31, Luke writes this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Again, another example of this concept of movement in the book of of Acts. Acts 12, verse 24. Make your way there. I'll give you a minute to turn there as well. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Again, keep in mind this theme of movement. So in Acts 12, verse 24, Luke writes this, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Again, Luke gives us this transition point. Let's go. Two more verses. Acts 16, verse 5. I'll give you a minute to turn there as well. Acts 16, verse 5. And it's good that you're turning there because it gives you an idea of maybe the surrounding verses. As you look at this one verse, what you can do is look at verses before and after to give you an idea of what took place and what led Luke to write these particular verses. So Acts 16, verse 5 says this. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Again, movement. And finally, Acts 19 verse 20. Acts 19 verse 20. It says this, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So these five verses mark the transition points of the book of Acts. And so you can say that Acts is composed of six sections that give us the narrative of this continual forward motion so we read the first we read five verses and so the chapters leading up to chapter six that would be the first section and so on and so on and so Luke gives us these natural transition points that gives us this narrative of a continual forward movement and here's the movement I like you to keep this in mind as you open up to any passage in Acts. the movement is this: the movement is from a Jewish setting primarily in Jerusalem with Peter as its key figure then gradually to predominantly a Gentile church made up of both Jews and Gentiles but progressively going toward a Gentile church with Paul as its key figure and Rome as its key city. So you go from Jerusalem and Peter, predominantly a Jewish beginning, to then predominantly a Gentile church with Paul as a key figure. And when Paul arrives in Rome, that marks the official, I guess, end of this narrative. Now I just mentioned Peter and then Paul, but the reality is this. The key figure in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The key figure in every passage in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. You see, we cannot read Acts without focusing on the role of the Holy Spirit because the forward movement of the gospel did not happen by human design. It was the Holy Spirit who brought about this movement of the gospel. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that began to spread, and it was dynamic. It was not static. You know, today, technology is so good that uh, we can do things today that we couldn't do back then. We are aware of things now that we weren't aware of even, let's say, three, four, or five years ago. For example, many of us wear fitness watches, okay? So you have your favorite fitness watch. And so I've got my fitness watch on right here. And these fitness fitness watches, they do a good job of making you feel guilty, okay? And and then I'll explain. In my particular watch, there's a feature that if, If I don't move for a certain number of hours, it alerts me, okay? And it'll it'll vibrate, it'll beep, and if I look at the watch, it'll say, move, with an exclamation point. So these watches, they make you feel guilty. They they motivate you to, to move. Well, the good thing is, the early church, they didn't need these watches to motivate them to move. They had the Holy Spirit, and He was the motivation for them to move the gospel forward, and the same Holy Spirit is available for us today. And and I'd like to share with you an important fact about the church today compared to the first church in Acts. And this is very important as you open up to any passage in Acts. Our responsibility as a church in the 21st century is not to try to restart the church, There's no need to duplicate the beginning of the church. You see, that was a one-time event that Luke records for us in the book of Acts. There's only one start to the church, and that's important for us as we unfold this message. You see, Luke gives us, on the one hand, this summary of the first 30 years of the church, 30 dynamic years of the gospel moving forward, proclaimed and lived out by people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. My guess is this, that if the first church had a mission statement, I think it was something similar to to know Jesus and make him known. I'm pretty sure that it was similar to ours, to know Jesus and make him known. And Luke, the doctor, Dr. Luke, who was so precise, he chose very carefully by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what he would include in this summary so that he would be able to encourage every church and every generation so that we would continue to know Jesus and make him known. And again, so if we look at this transition, this transition was from Jesus to the apostles. This transition was from the old covenant to the new covenant. This transition was from the nation of Israel as God's primary ambassadors to the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles as God's primary ambassadors. The early church was alive, it was well, it was moving forward. You know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, his disciples gathered in what was known as the upper room. Did you know that in this upper room were also Jesus' very mother and his half-brothers, James and Jude? They were all part of the first church. And shortly thereafter, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gave one of the greatest sermons ever in the history of sermons. It was so good that 3,000 people were baptized. 3,000 people were baptized. Uh, I was thinking about that. Talk about a workout for the pastor baptizing. I mean, that would be a wonderful workout to baptize that many people. You know, some of my favorite Sundays at our church are Baptism Sundays. And you know what I love about Baptism Sundays? I love the spontaneous applause from you whenever somebody is baptized up here. In fact, last time it was so great that uh, there was a standing ovation after a baptism. I mean, it's not often you get a standing ovation in a church. And I think a baptism warrants a standing ovation. It is that special. Because baptisms are a sign of new life. Baptisms are a sign that good things are happening. Baptism is a sign that is a church that is living. It's alive. I love the way one pastor described the difference between living and dead churches. I found this to be very compelling. He wrote this. Living churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Living churches move out in faith. Dead churches operate by sight. Living churches are filled with givers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Living churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. The early church in the book of Acts was alive, it was well, it was filled with people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Would you turn to chapter 1 and look at verse 8? Acts chapter 1. In verse 8, we'll see this empowering by the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus said to his disciples shortly before he was raised to heaven. He wanted them to know that he wasn't leaving them to fend for themselves. He said, the Holy Spirit will empower you. And the Holy Spirit enabled them to to know Jesus more deeply and to make him known more widely. And there's a passage that illustrates this so well, to know Jesus more deeply and to make him known more widely. The passage is found in chapter 2. Let's turn to verses 42 to 47 in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 to 47. I'll read this passage in its entirety to give you an idea of this empowering by the Holy Spirit to motivate the believers to know Jesus more deeply and to make him known more widely. Verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, the opening line in the passage that we just read says that the believers devoted themselves. The word devotion, it's a, it's a very descriptive word. I love this word. The dictionary defines devotion as a strong love or loyalty for something Or someone. That's devotion. It's a strong love or loyalty for something or someone. Now, many of you know that we have a German shepherd. His name is Kingston. For you dog owners out there, okay, has this ever happened to you? Can you relate to this? In our house, if we were to walk from one room to another room, our dog wants to walk with us. And so we'll go from the family room to the kitchen and Kingston just gets up. Even if he's sleeping, he just gets up and walks, to us, walks with us to the kitchen. And then if we go from the kitchen back to the family room, he'll walk back to the family room. If we go from the family room to the bathroom, he'll walk with us to the bathroom. He's probably thinking, stop, I'm getting tired. But he's so devoted, he just keeps walking with us no matter where we go. And the reality is this. He is most attached to Joanne, <laughs> I think our dog suffers from anxiety, or or our separation anxiety. And I'm, I don't know if that's the case with every dog, but you know, Joanne spends uh, a lot of time with him. She feeds him, gives him treats, uh, takes him out for excursions and walks, and just takes care of him. And so here's what happens: if Joanne wants to just relax in her family room on the sofa. She'll have a seat on her sofa. But then Kingston will walk over. And he's a big dog. He's a German shepherd. So he'll sit, but he'll sit tall. And when you're on the sofa, he's at your eye level. So Joanna's trying to relax. Kingston comes over, sits right in front of her, and then stares at her. For minutes on end, it's quite the picture of a dog staring the owner in the eyes for several minutes. You know, do you ever get uncomfortable when somebody stares at you for too long? Uh, That happens with dogs too. (laughs) Sometimes Joanne's like, enough, let me relax. Whenever we come home from being out of the house for several hours, like it'll be today, later on today. We actually have to be very careful when we open the front door because Kingston is laying right up against the door waiting for us to come home. And he won't move from that spot until we're home. That's devotion. That is a strong love or loyalty for someone Just this past week, the other day, Joanne was upstairs on the phone, and she had a lengthy conversation on the phone. I was in the family room downstairs, and I look over at the foot of the stairs, and there's Kingston just sitting there, because he could hear Joanne's voice upstairs. He just sat there for the entire conversation, because he could hear her, and every so often I'd hear this whimpering from Kingston, like, when are you going to be done? Hurry up, end the phone call. Come play with me. That's devotion. When we think of the early church in the book of Acts, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what that meant was they couldn't get enough. My guess is they arrived to church 15 minutes early They were waiting for the doors to be opened. They didn't walk in during the first song. They were so eager. They hungered for the word. They couldn't wait to fellowship with each other. They gathered together for prayer. The church was alive and well. You know the majority of the new believers... Jewish by birth and for the first time many of them had their eyes opened by God's grace and they began to see the scriptures as much more than just simply a set of rules to follow the passage that we read also tells us that they were so awestruck by the signs and wonders that were being performed by the Apostles did you know that there's a difference between our church in the first, 21st century and the first church in the first century? The difference is this they didn't have the New Testament. We have the New Testament. They were the New Testament, they were living out the New Testament. And so keep in mind that this was a brand new teaching. The church had just been formed. So God used these signs and these wonders to authenticate the gospel, to authenticate the message. I want to go back to chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, to see a description of this. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Luke writes this. On the day of Pentecost At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. The day of Pentecost was very significant in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, at Pentecost, what would happen was this an offering of first fruits was given this was in celebration of the uh, grain harvest the word pentecost refers to 50 50 days the feast of weeks happened 50 days after the passover in the new testament here's what happened on the day of pentecost the holy spirit was given as the first fruits of the believer's inheritance. In other words, and this is important, the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts was the start of the church age. It was the beginning of the New Testament church. God's mighty work was experienced on that day of Pentecost. People gathered together and they were so bewildered because they were hearing other people speaking their languages. And these people had no prior knowledge of these languages. Miraculous, amazing, incredible. That was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the first church. And God's mighty work continued for 30 years, 30 years of the beginning of the first church. The passage that we read in verses 42 to 47, if you recall, we also read that many people sold their property and they sold their possessions and they gave those proceeds to help meet the needs of those who did not have much. And the reason for that is this, that many of these new believers, again, they were Jewish by birth. When they came to faith, many of them were persecuted many by their own family members. They had nowhere to turn, no home. So these new believers, they were left out. But that's where the church came into the picture, and they welcomed these new believers into their own homes. They opened up their hearts, and they opened up their homes. And all throughout the book of Acts, Luke gives us one example after another of God pouring out His grace on his people, who then in turn poured out God's grace on others and welcomed them into their family, the family of God. And this ought to encourage us today. It ought to encourage us to know Jesus more deeply and to make him known more widely. That is why, church, whenever we open the book of Acts, we don't simply look at the book of Acts As a historical document with nothing for us today. That is why when we open up to the book of Acts, we understand that there is a message for the church today. But the question is this How does the book of Acts speak to the church today? That's an important question. How does the book of Acts speak to the church today? Well, the early church did church specific to their situation, their context. And it is not necessarily a blueprint for every church to follow. Keep in mind, there's only one beginning to the church that happened on the day of Pentecost. You don't restart something that's been started. So how does the book of Acts speak to the church in the 21st century. If I had to sum up Luke's purpose for writing the book of Acts, it would be this way. And this is important, okay? And I'll I'll say this twice for those of you who might be taking notes. This is very important. Okay. The purpose of Luke writing the book of Acts is to describe the acts of the first church to encourage the ongoing church to stay faithful to the forward movement of the gospel in the broad sense, not necessarily by modeling specific examples. I'll say that again. Luke's purpose in writing the book of Acts is to describe the acts of the first church to encourage the ongoing church, which includes Ephraim Bar to the forward movement of the gospel in the broad sense, not necessarily by modeling specific examples. So how do we live this out today? I'll give you a few examples. We said that the believers in the book of Acts, they sold their property and they sold their possessions and they gave to meet the needs of the poor. If that was a prescription for us to follow, then guess what? you would all have to have garage sales next Saturday. (laughs) You'd have to hurry up and go onto your eBay account. I want you to sell everything you have, bring the proceeds here, and we'll distribute it. That's if it's a prescription. But Luke wasn't giving us a prescription. He was describing how the church in the book of Acts met the needs of others. In other words, keep the primary primary and the secondary secondary. The primary is meeting the needs of others. That's always a primary thing. That's always a good thing, no matter what generation, no matter what church, no matter when and where, meeting the needs of others. That's important. How we do that might vary. From generation to generation, from location to location, from church to church. Now, if God compels some of you to have a garage sale and give all your proceeds to a wonderful organization, wonderful. That'll honor God. But it's not a prescription for all believers to follow. How about this? How about uh, the, the subject of gathering together? That's an important subject. In fact, the Bible tells us do not forsake gathering together. That's primary. Gathering together is primary for any generation, for any church. But how about how you gather, when you gather, where you gather? That's a secondary issue. There's no uh, spiritual time to gather, all right? So 1045 is no more spiritual than 1030, okay? Or 1045 is no less spiritual than 11 o'clock, okay? So those things are secondary. This is not to say the secondary things are not important. They're very important. That's why churches have different things that they practice. It's important. It's just not primary. Keep the primary, primary, and the secondary, secondary. Here's another example. The mode of baptism, now throughout the book of Acts, you see baptism strewn throughout the entire book. The mode of baptism, in other words, the way baptism is conducted, is secondary to the act of baptism. Now here at our church, our preferred mode of baptism is by immersion, by by dipping or dunking a person into the water and bringing that person up. And we believe that that best uh, symbolizes the picture of being buried with Christ and being raised with him. So that's our preferred mode. But did you know also that over the years, we've had some incredibly moving baptisms here on our church campus and off our church campus In just the last two years alone, we baptized three individuals in their homes. And I don't think any of them had a pool. And here's how we did that these individuals were too physically unhealthy, unwell, to be able to make it here. So groups of us gathered together in the home, around the bed, around a sofa. We took water from a bowl and we sprinkled it on their heads. And then we clapped and we celebrated and it was a special baptism. So you see, the act of baptism is primary. The mode is secondary. We keep the primary, primary. The secondary, secondary. We have so many ways to live out the gospel today as a church. And yes, some of those ways may look similar to the way the first church did church. But some of those ways may look very different from the way the first church did church. So do you see why we don't look to the book of Acts simply as a prescription that we follow the blueprint to the T. We see this as God's word for his church in all generations to encourage us to be faithful to the forward movement of the gospel. But I do want to give you a prescription today, all right? So just think of me as Dr. Tim for a minute. I'm going to leave you with a prescription. Jesus himself prescribed something to his disciples. Again, before he ascended into heaven, he said this to his followers. He said, a new commandment or a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You can find that passage in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. That is a prescription for us to follow at all times, everywhere. And I'm so grateful to be part of a church that demonstrates that type of love. I witnessed this on a regular basis. And you know, in fact, probably not a week goes by when I hear of an account where someone has been blessed by someone else at our church. And usually I'll hear about that from the recipient of the blessing. Oh, Tim, so-and-so blessed me this week. So-and-so reached out to me. So-and-so dropped off a meal so-and-so gave me a ride. So-and-so listened and comforted me. You know, we have so many opportunities on a daily basis. When someone is sick, when someone's recovering from surgery, we can drop off meals. When someone is unable to do so, I've heard people mowing other people's lawns at our church, fixing leaky faucets. Again, giving rides, running errands. Time and time again, I've witnessed this at our church. But not only have I witnessed it, I've actually been the recipient of these blessings. Of course, last month, you heard Joanne share her testimony, and she shared about how so many people blessed our family with meals while she was battling her kidney disease. But some of you may also know that there was a season in my life uh, this was like now almost five years ago, just under five years ago, uh, where I was recovering. And the story goes like this It was January 1, 2017. Okay? And I was getting ready for church that morning, New Year's Day. And before church, I happened to be walking. We have a balcony that connects this building and the building in the back, the education building. And so it was a cold January morning, it was a very cold winter. And so I remember walking along the balcony, but what I didn't see was invisible ice on the balcony. So I'm just walking, minding my own business. When my shoe hit the invisible ice, and I went straight up, and my head went straight back. It was like a bad cartoon. You see those cartoons, right? They're running, and then all of a sudden, and I had no time to brace my fall with my hands. So I'm directly on the back of my head, New Year's morning before service. I mean, talk about ushering the New Year with a bang, OK? That bang was the sound of my head hitting the balcony. And for those several weeks recovering from that concussion, our family received so many wonderful meals, so many incredible desserts. I really like the desserts, all right? And if you know me, you know I love desserts. And I got so many desserts and so many letters and so many words of prayer. Now I imagine, I imagine that so many of you have been the recipient of those kinds of blessings from God's people. You know, God's been moving in our church for 54 years. This month, October, marks 54 years of our church. Yes. It wasn't that long ago that we had our 50th celebration as a church. But for 54 years, God has been moving in his church here in Diamond Bar. And do you know what? Each of us is called to be a steward of his church. Each of us in our season of life, as members of Ephraim Diamond Bar, we are called to steward his church. Maybe this might be your first time here, maybe you've been here for only a matter of weeks. Can I encourage you to come to our welcome lunch next Sunday? Would you join us next week across the way? I see many of you here are newer to our church and maybe you've not enjoyed a lunch please come across the way next sunday hear about what god is doing and i trust i am confident that you will experience god's love through his people here diamond bar and so i leave you with this that if we are faithful to the call of stewarding God's church, then we will continue the forward movement of the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we will know Jesus more deeply and we will make him known more widely. I'll be done in just a second. But can I encourage you to come back here for our fall carnival drive through from 3 to 6. Many of you will already be serving. Some of you, you will actually be setting up for three hours between the time that we're done and 3 o'clock. God bless you. If you're unable to stick around, if, you're able, if you need to go home, I encourage you to come back between 3 and 6 and experience God's goodness through this amazing ministry. Would you bow with me? Thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts. It's a wonderful book. Lord, it's much more than just a historical document, so much more than that. You speak to your church today through the book of Acts. You remind us that there was one beginning. That 30-year beginning was an explosive beginning. And we also experience the explosiveness of the Holy Spirit today. And though it may not look exactly that way, it is no less powerful today. And I pray, God, that every time we open up the book of Acts, we would see the forward movement of the gospel. And I pray that every time we open up the book of Acts, that you would remind us that the church here in Diamond Bar in 2021, we are part of your plan, your plan of redemption. So use us, Lord, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.